And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and joining me in the studio today is Dr. John Vance, pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern. Hello. And on the phone is the Reverend Kevin Sherritt of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Tennessee. Greetings, Dan. Well, gentlemen, it's good to have you here today. You know, one of the things on my mind as we open today's discussion, and our listeners will get the drift of the discussion if I read this, um, this comes from the Nicene Creed, and it says, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. I'm thinking today, and we're thinking today, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who we're told that um, he lays aside his glory. He comes to this earth, takes on human flesh. And uh, gentlemen, our discussion today is about this um, human side of Jesus. Um, And I don't even know if I described that correctly, the incarnation. And um, Kevin... You've done a lot of studies on this, as well as you have, John. But, um, Kevin, could you get us started as we talk about today the humanity of Jesus? Um, help us understand that a little bit. The, uh, the first thing, Dan, I think, is the affirmation of the Church, which here is reflecting faithfully the, the teaching of Scripture, that um, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, uh, became man and we mean by that that he became fully man, that he was had a full, uh, rich human existence, uh, a fully human body, a fully human soul and mind, and um, was a concrete, historical human being, uh, born of Mary in space and time at a particular time. And so this uh, grounds the reality of our faith, uh, not just in history, but in our own flesh, that God has come to to be one with us in Jesus Christ, and like us in all respects, uh, sin accepted. And um, this is of immense importance uh, for the Christian faith. Without it, um, the faith tends to uh, become uh, detached from this humanity of Jesus and becomes very abstract, and um, the humanity of Jesus is viewed... um, sort of as an instrument or a tool wielded in the hand of the divine, but not as having, you know, its own integrity, its own significance. And so I think um, much more than appears at first, the full reality of the humanness of Jesus um, is, is critical for our faith. It's, a, it's an amazing uh, uh, truth. Uh, it's an amazing uh, doctrine spoken of, of course, in the Scriptures. But it's it's uh, can be put in many various ways, and sometimes we I think we need to draw out the contrast. Uh, the universes were created through him and for him, and yet he subjects himself hmm. uh, to that uh, uh, which he made, even to human culture. He was born a Jew, and uh, Christians uh, uh, down through the ages have seen this to be absolutely crucial. Uh, for our salvation, that he became fully man and dwelt among us. Mm-hmm. Now, in so doing, he um, he doesn't um, compromise his deity. 
He doesn't cease to be divine. No. He is fully divine, the second person of the Trinity, but he becomes fully human. So this is a a special thing in history, and maybe that's why it makes it hard for us to understand. We can understand the concept of godness or the concept of humanness, but here is fully man, fully God. Um, We don't usually see this except in our Lord Jesus Christ. What is in him is unique. Uh, I think yeah. uh, uh, that is the, the most important thing. Uh, there is nothing like it. Uh, sometimes uh, I've, I've taught in the past, of course, world religions and have dealt with the concept of transmigration of the soul and reincarnation and these kinds mm-hmm. of understandings that you find in uh, Hinduism in particular and somewhat in Buddhism. Uh, but it is not simply a reincarnation where the soul or the self uh, mm. takes upon a new life at death. Uh, this was for our salvation that he became man, and he remains so uh, for eternity. It was to the ancient uh, Greek world uh, quite a scandal because they could not really assimilate the idea that God could become Man, um, you know, the material world, the world of flesh and blood, was sort of a shadowy um, world, which uh, mirrored at best the, the real world, the, the transcendent world of of the forms in, in Greek thought. And so, um, the idea that God would become man and then be crucified uh, as a criminal is, um, as Paul says. Um, a scandal, foolishness, mm. freaks. And to follow up on that, the, the first difficulty that, that some early believers had and false teachers played upon it was not the deity of Jesus. They could believe that he was divine, but they could not believe that he was fully human, that he came in human flesh. No doubt for two reasons. One is that there was a, a doctrine abroad that depreciated the world of appearances and the material world. So why would God stoop, if mm. you will, to become something inferior? But yet Christian teaching that creation is good uh, is in some ways a preparation for the coming of the Lord and Savior, and it is through his body, through his flesh, uh, mm. that we have uh, become whole and complete, if you will, saved and presented to the Father. Uh, so they had many barriers to understanding the incarnation, and one of the very first uh, heresies, if you will, that Christians had to deal with was a, a doctrine called docetism, which which means that Jesus only appeared to be human. Hmm. He wasn't fully human. Which is why um, in John's first epistle, he has to say things like, anyone who says that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh... Uh, is not from God, because um, there were people who taught, as John just said, that he must have only appeared to be in the flesh, or it must have been some sort of phantasm, Mm -hmm. um, because flesh was intrinsically um, a little bit dirty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are there forms of docetism, as you described it here, yet even with us today, perhaps creeping in unawares to the Christian church? I'll let Kevin take that. I think there are, yeah. Um, really, I think you find it where you where you find a um, a kind of hyper spirituality, 
where um, you have a great um, dualism set between things bodily uh, and things, quote, spiritual. And so um, in that sense, the docetic temptation is always with us. It lies behind, for example, a low view of the sacraments because the sacraments are tangible, physical, uh, uh, bodily things. And for, quote, spiritual people, they seem almost beneath them. And so mm-hmm. there's a sense in which um, the, the Christian life is seen almost like, and this was an acute problem for, for the Corinthian church, it's seen to be a life which sort of transcends the body and transcends the limitations of space and time. And, and this leads to a kind of, I think, it has an, a lot of ramifications, frankly. We might want to explore them, but one of them is a sort of denigration of history, of the social and political and civil life of man. And, and also, I would add here that our conception of heaven is often a flighty, uh, ethereal sorts of things, whereas mm-hmm. in the Bible... We, we, our hope, our belief is in a new heavens and a new earth, a concrete embodied reality of the future um, where we as embodied creatures uh, enjoy the earth and enjoy God and enjoy the original dominion that we forfeited in Adam. This is often seen by the fact that we obscure, I, I think it's obscured often in the evangelical mind, that our great hope is not dying and going to heaven but it is the resurrection of the body. And Paul spends a great deal of energy on this with the Corinthian church to say, look, it won't do to simply die and float off to heaven. We believe in the resurrection of the body. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to die and go to be with the Lord, mm-hmm. but that is a intermediate step to our terminal and full and complete embodied hope. And to the extent that these sorts of things are obscured, I think there's a lurking docetism. Yeah, there there clearly is. Uh, uh, there's a tendency in the name of spirituality to despise creation, right? And to despise art and music and all of those things, mm-hmm. which we discover in the scripture. You don't find in, for instance, the great king of Israel, King David, or his son Solomon, who learned about the stars and the moon and the sun, and he learned wisdom of all kinds. He knew plants. He obviously studied mm-hmm. botany, if you will, it would be today, and he possessed a certain wisdom about all things, because this was God's creation. And yes, there is a false spirituality, and there is a dichotomy between, if you will, uh, uh, and you find something of a dichotomy in the Bible, but it's not the same dichotomy. The world itself and creation is good, created through Christ. Uh, it is. The yeah. spirit hovered over. Now, if we're talking about sinful flesh and the spirit, that's, a, that, that's something yeah. else. Now, right. uh, gentlemen, can you hold that thought? I see we're up against a break here. Today we're talking about the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is uh, a plain answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Stay with us. We'll be right back. He fed the thousands who did not have bread. I saw him bring people back from the dead. He drove out demons from the demon bound. And taught us how to walk on holy ground. He made the leper skin like new. The storm dissipated when he told it to. Took jars of water, turned it into wine To save even heal this heart of mine We have seen His glory 
We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today, Dr. John Vance on the phone, the Reverend Kevin Sherritt. And, you know, before I forget, um, I wanted to encourage our listeners that we accept your questions for future Plain Answer programs. Just email them to us or leave your question on our toll-free number. Our email address is ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. Our toll-free number is 888 888- Seven two four forty four twenty seven. Just leave your question there. We may actually use it for a future plain answer program. You may actually hear your voice over the air. Again, that number eight 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 seven two four forty four twenty seven. So, gentlemen, today we're talking about the incarnation. Um, before the break, we had a very interesting discussion that uh, extended into docetism and how that we want to avoid that in the Christian life and in the church. Um, Also, we touched upon embracing the fact that um, God has created things good. Now, we we acknowledge the fall exists, but these things are created good, and uh, we're not to be, um, how do you say that word, docetistic? I guess that's that's fine. (laughs) Now, now, gentlemen, before we go too far, I, I can't wait to ask you, and Kevin, let me ask you this. Here's Jesus. Um, he's fully man, and he's fully God. He takes on human flesh. How does that help him to sympathize with us? Well, I mean, it is the the ground uh, and the substance of his ability to sympathize with us. You know, the great place to go here, I think, is chapters 2 through 4 of the book of Hebrews, mm-hmm. um, where, you know... It says that he who sanctifies, um, meaning Jesus, and those who are sanctified, us, all are of one, hmm. which, either, which either means we all have one Father, or we all share one nature. In either case, it amounts to the same thing, that Jesus and us, Jesus and his people, are one, one humanity. He actually identifies with our station, if you will. And then the next phrase uh, in that verse says, that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. And yeah. so Jesus is, among other things, our elder brother. And this is a, a concept which is, is, I also think, muted because of our uh, 
propensity to downplay his full physical human um, identification with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, this has, has great implications for, I think, conceiving of him as our high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses, as Hebrew goes out to say, mm-hmm. because he was really tempted. Yeah. yeah the... the, the uh the image here is that God has entered in, if you will, he's come to stand with us on our side of the divide. He's mm-hmm. entered into our history, our flesh. He knows us from the inside. The sympathy is that he was a true man, human being, tempted in all points as we have been tempted. He understands yeah, it from yeah. the inside, yeah. and yet he did not sin, and he became the obedient servant uh, of his father. That that is a truth that is uh, crucial for our salvation. Mm. For when he dies on the cross, he dies not as an alien, but he dies as one who is absolutely uh, on our side mm-hmm. and understands us from the inside and shares our very existence and humanity. Mm-hmm. So that's a good reference there, that uh, Hebrews chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4 uh, right, and and even after this broadcast today, perhaps um, it would be beneficial to go back over those uh, several chapters in Hebrews. Even five, it speaks of, um, you know, even though he was a son, he had to learn obedience through what he suffered, and it speaks of Jesus in the days of his flesh. Yeah, I see that Offering here. up prayers with, <laughs> with loud cries and tears. And this is, this is the... Um, the vicarious, the mean, meaning the you know, the substitutionary mm-hmm. obedience of Jesus on our behalf from within inside uh, our condition, as John was just saying. And th- this becomes critical when we conceive of approaching Jesus, who's now risen and enthroned as our king and our high priest. And w- one way I like to put this, and, and um, I think this comes from Calvin, though it probably has other sources, is that... In one sense, when we approach the ascended Christ, we tend to think of him, you know, as God. His humanity thins out in our minds as he ascends into the heavens. Um, There's a sense in which everyone affirms that Jesus was human, but the role of that humanity uh, seems to sort of dissipate as he goes back to the Father, and we tend to default to seeing him as God, and we lose sight of the fact that there is a man at the right hand of the Father mm-hmm. who wears our flesh, who intercedes for us, and through whom we can approach um, the divine majesty. I, I've often speculated, and I'll, I'll admit it's a speculation, uh, that in the afterlife, in heaven, uh, will we ever know God except through the humanity of Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the eternal man as well as the mm-hmm. eternal son, the eternal deity. They are conjoined, joined together. Mm-hmm. And uh, we meet, if you will, his flesh is tabernacle. That is where we meet yeah. uh, the divine uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's yeah. This is this is good. In other words, let's just restate it again. When Jesus goes into heaven, he does not cease to be man. Never. I, yeah. I must use the phrase in the sermon from the old Scots sermon. There is a man at the right hand of God, and. Uh, uh, some some lady uh, who happened to be hmm. uh, uh, high up in an Ivy League school in the administration uh, was there with her her husband, who is quite a good theologian. And she said in front of me to her husband, "Do we believe 
and she's a believer. Do we really believe that there is a man at the right hand? It's good to review this stuff. The, yeah. Yes, at the right hand of the Father. Yeah. And of course, uh, her husband, knowing uh, good the theology very well, said, yes, of course, it can't be otherwise. Amen to that. I think the, the implications of this are are manifold, but, but one place we, we might focus them is on the question of uh, our approach to God in worship. It's not just that we worship Jesus then, you know, along with the Father and the Spirit. It's that we worship in, with, and through Jesus, meaning through the humanity of Jesus, as, as John indicated, we come into communion with the Godhead. It, it's interesting that that text in Hebrews 2 where, where it says he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are one, that is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, has the ascended son saying in the next verse, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. Mm -hmm. I will sing your praise. It's a shocking image. It's an image of the ascended Christ standing within the congregation as the elder brother among his brothers and praising the Father. Mm. And, and, And Calvin makes a marvelous comment on that verse. He says, Jesus Christ is the chief conductor of our hymns to God. And so part of getting this humanity right is sort of if you'll permit me this expression, is sort of turning Jesus around in your mind and getting behind him and then coming up into the worship of God in and with and through his humanity uh, as the chief conductor of our hymns. And that, that mm. delivers worship from becoming a performance or a man-made, um, uh, what we would call a semi-Pelagian sort of act or work that we have to do. Uh, worship is not simply a response to the divine, but it is something which is taken up into Jesus Christ and purified, and he presents us and our worship before the Father as our elder brother. And I think that that has enormous ramifications for our demeanor in worship. You know, when uh, we pray, uh, often I find myself, my mind wandering, or even in church when I'm leading the people in prayer, and there is a great comfort to know that the mediator, who is truly human, in flesh takes up my feebleness mm. and perfects it in himself, his own flesh, and offers and presents it to the Father. Uh, the humanity of Jesus is crucial not only for our salvation, that he died for us on the cross in our flesh, but our worship, our service. Uh, it's amazing the imagery that's used in the Bible uh, concerning the humanity of Christ. It's not uh, uh, something to be uh, ignored, and I'm not sure. Uh, that our people uh, in the pew uh, get fully uh, how important it is in the words of a, a most famous book uh, about a thousand years ago, Curdius Homo, Why Did God Become Man? Well, it was for our salvation, for our worship, for our very being, and uh, we are perfected uh, in his flesh. Hmm. Now, gentlemen, I'm just looking at the clock here, and we've got maybe about one minute left. Uh, this has gone quickly today. It's been very delightful to talk about this. Um, how about some uh, closing remarks now as we've looked at the incarnation of Jesus, as we look today at his humanity? Uh, what would you like to conclude and maybe tie it to worship? I, you've already done that, but in conclusion. Well, well I think a question that's, that's um, salutary to ask ourselves is what difference? does the humanity of Jesus Christ make to our worship? Mm-hmm. Um, because if, if, it, if it gets its full place, um, then I do think it 
liberates us quite a bit in worship. If it doesn't, if it's obscured, and, and I think you can make the case, and, and theologians have done this, that it was gradually obscured, and the deity of Christ was emphasized to such a, an overwhelming um, extent, because after the, you know, after the fourth century, when the church had a battle with Arianism and it had a fight for the divinity of Christ, um, that the divinity in some ways swallows up the humanity, and you mm-hmm. eventually end up with a swarm of mediators uh, between God and man if the humanity of Jesus Christ um, uh, is not given its full place. In Protestantism, this, this ends up often with the charismatic personality or the dominant preacher or some sort of uh, uh, entertainment mentality about worship or some need for... Um, you know, psychological catharsis or whatever, mm-hmm. but some something will clamor into that space where the actual human obedience and intercessory ministry of our our high priest and brother uh, should be, if if it's not there in worship. Mm-hmm. That's well put. Uh, it's important to remember that Jesus has two natures, two wills, uh, but they're they're united in one person, uh, and because he is truly and fully human, God of God. Uh, but uh, man of man, Mary furnished him his humanity, a sanctified humanity through the Spirit, of course, Mm -hmm. but nonetheless a true and full humanity, and he does understand us in our needs. I I hope that those out there that are broken or struggling or without work or whatever uh, will come and let it dawn on them that this Jesus is the sympathizing Jesus who understands fully uh, your situation, for he has been with us, indeed, and he is for us. Amen to that. Gentlemen, thank you very much. This is A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please email us. Our address is ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. In the studio with me today, Dr. John Vance on the phone, the Reverend Kevin Sherritt. Please join us next week at this same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. Taught us how to walk on holy ground. He made the leper skin like new. The storm dissipated when he told it to. Took jars of water, turned it into wine. To save even heal this heart of mine. We have seen his glory. We have seen glory we have seen his glory the one